0: hello and welcome to the 22nd episode of the joshua young podcast today i have the most incredible guest on my show josh luallen welcome to the show josh
1: thanks for having me back good to be here
0: it's great to have you back josh was one of the first guests to appear on the joshua young podcast and helped me get my feet wet and start lane structure so it's nice to have him come back after i've done this a few times and hopefully ask better questions and have better quality overall for those of you who don't know josh he is the co-host of the biblical philosophy podcast ravel where he and two friends ravel out different threads of faith I have Josh on the podcast to revel out some of the questions I have about my faith and different ideas. So, before we begin, I'm going to use a med- my favorite meditation as an intro-, intro to the question I'm asking. Perfect. All right. This comes from Hamilton Souther, who is a... Uh, American who is a shaman in the Amazon rainforest, and he specializes in ayahuasca ceremonies. Um, through a podcast with Aubrey Marcus, he talks about mapping consciousness, which is a very hefty thing to say. But I found what he, how he mapped it, to be very informative. And he says that consciousness, we all live in four different realms. And that's going to be the physical realm, the place that we all move and operate in, the mental realm in which everything that's going through our brain is operating, the emotional realm that operates through our heart, and the feeling of like love and joy, those are coming through the heart and the emotion and then the fourth is the imagination everything that's happening abstractly and that is what consciousness is made up of before i go straight into my biblical question i would love to hear your thoughts on what you are on that mapping of consciousness josh
1: ooh well to be honest if you're ready for a hot take i'm ready to go uh to be honest it sounds like some outdated Uh, dualism between mind and body and then he like further separates mind into emotions mental state and imagination when like any psychologist or neuroscientist would see those as inherently intertwined and unseparatable so I see what he's trying to do by like making some uh, some distinctions and I think that we can do that without pretending that they are completely distinct and do not influence each other
0: keep going why?
1: Um, like, like obviously, the mind-body problem is like a classic philosophical thought experiment. Like, uh, everyone from the Greek philosophers to Descartes have tried to make sense of what it means to be a mind inside a body, and like what the relationship is between those two things. Um, what he sounds like he's come up with is—it uh, almost sounds like the the Greek. Um, man, the words are escaping me. I cannot remember what they're called, but like the the different uh, phases. It was like the way that they made sense of uh, the inner workings of the mind and body, and they would conceptualize them as like black bile, yellow bile. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay, you should look that up because what he's come up with is really similar to that. I'm just not as familiar with reading up on it.
0: Okay. Um, well, the question I want to ask about this is... Uh... Talking about the distinction between imagination and prophecy in the Bible. I feel like imagination is when we're using any abstract thinking to come up with different ideas or scenarios that do not map directly to the physical world. Not saying that they can't, but uh, it's a way to kind of role play in our own mind. And uh, I think looking at biblical studies there seems to be a lot of like divine imagination
1: totally oh i buy that 100 percent. i think that's a really accurate way to put it i think that um biblical scholars would completely agree with that too (laughs) in my personal opinion
0: (laughs) then how do you know something's prophetic as in well like outside a of great oneself and how do you read that
1: sure um in terms of biblical prophecy maybe it's best to like keep it in that niche because some people conceptualize it differently and to be fair some christians have different concepts of prophecy like i was raised in the vein of understanding prophecy as a form of future telling but most biblical scholars do not view biblical prophecy that way. And I certainly do not anymore either. Um, there is kind of this tradition of prophecy somehow being a form of like forth telling, like you are telling something uh, in a way that like brings it about, like almost what we would call a self-fulfilling prophecy. I like to think of it as a vision casting like business people like to use that those terms a lot, like here's where we're at, here's where we want to end up, or here's where we're at, here's the road we're heading down, does that match where we want to end up at? And I think that that, that phrasing can help us get over the, the tripping up as just seeing prophecy as a form of fortune telling and trying to uh, forecast the actual future.
0: I love that. I think that makes a lot more sense in my mind that kind of the human mechanism that we are, what we focus on and what we think through, we have a much higher opportunity to actually achieve. And I, yeah. So again, like, how do you distinguish between goal setting and divine intervention?
1: Totally. Um, in the case of the biblical prophets, a lot of the prophets in Jewish tradition were people who were specifically speaking truth to power. Like they were specifically trying to critique or influence uh, like the kings and the rulers of their day and trying to speak specifically to them. They weren't necessarily going out to all of the people and like preaching doom and gloom and saying, like, this this world's just going to hell in a handbasket. Like they weren't just complaining right like they were going to the people who could actually change people's lives and to be honest I think that that's where current modern Christianity has gotten a a lot of this philosophy around like we need to be the ones in power which I have some feelings about personally but like it kind of comes from this sense of biblical prophecy that there's this tradition of these ancient prophets who would kind of vision cast in front of the people in charge
0: why were they doing that
1: in their context they were often doing it because they viewed the current circumstances of what was happening in their context as antithetical to their faith and their religious convictions so there's definitely that tie into divine intervention but i like your question of like how how does one tell the difference between divine intervention and goal setting? If you don't mind, uh, let's use the example of Jesus, because up until the personhood of Jesus happening, there, there was all this talk in the Old Testament, um, which was expanded upon in between the time of the Old Testament to the New Testament, which was about like 400 years. And all of the uh, the rabbis and the religious scholars fell into a couple different camps and one specific camp believed that the Old Testament was pointing them towards a singular savior, a messiah who would someday come and they like, they viewed the biblical trajectories and like these, these vision casts happening over hundreds and sometimes thousands of years that it was somehow pointing them to someone who would probably come. But they weren't like, they weren't like analyzing each person who was born and they were like oh do you fit these qualities that we think we found like the, the it, it was not that exact it was it was more like the storytelling of like this is where we think we're going and this is the way we think uh, the divine is pointing us towards so when Jesus comes along and he talks about the way that he's quote unquote fulfilled the prophecies what he's not saying is he meets all the requirements for all of those uh like specific things that were foretold which is some, how some Christians read them but to be honest not a lot of biblical scholars read it that way and i think that's very important to note but what he's wh- more accurate to a more accurate way to put what he's saying in that is that he is like fulfilling the like the vision cast or the Like the imagination, like he fits the imagination of what's happening in the storyline of Divine Intervention.
0: Yeah, I'd say imagination, also emotion. I know one of my most powerful understandings of improved goal setting over the last two years has been to actually focus on the emotions of how i feel when goal setting mm. not necessarily just the actions because that's why we set goals is we say like i want to make x amount of money but what we really want is to feel like we make x amount of money Or we want to totally. feel the happiness and success and to resonate on those emotions kind of pushes us in a more accurate direction and especially like based off of the money setting example there's a bunch of different ways to make money but if you say these are the feelings i want when i make the money then you're going to do that in a much happier space which is probably what you want right that's what i yeah
1: fun fact did you know that it's pretty arguable that capitalism emerged because of calvinism in the protestant reformation talk to me Max Weber talks about this in his book The The Protestant Work Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. What it basically boils down to is that they it, in my opinion it comes down to free will and determinism. Like <clears throat> kind of like you were talking about with like what's the relationship between goal setting and divine intervention? Divine intervention has this air about it as if, like God is pulling all of the strings and we have nothing to do with it and goal-setting seems quite a bit more subjective right so when the Calvinists had a huge pull in the Protestant Reformation Calvinists believed that everything is predetermined and God saves whoever God wants to save and doesn't save those God doesn't want to save so then they developed all of these like core doctrines as a part of it and part of the thing that they arrived at was well if God only saves a certain portion of people How are we going to determine, while we're still on earth, who's saved, who's a part of the elect, and who's not? Like, who's garbage? How are we going to tell the difference? And one of the conclusions they arrived at was, well, God obviously blesses those that he loves. So whoever has the most money is obviously a part of the elect. Like, if someone's been blessed with money on earth, and so then it turns into this uh, reverse psychology game where like people are competing for money which Max Weber argues birthed capitalism in the first place as like a like obviously people have used money throughout the ages ever since its invention but in terms of like this uh, this new modern widespread societal form of capitalism
0: yes it definitely seems a modern idea for the individual to acquire wealth. Right. Like in comparison to their neighbor.
1: I heard- but like at the time, they would have seen that as divine intervention. When like today in capitalist America, we tend not to think about it that way. We tend to think of it as goal setting. Like I am going to have a career. I am going to gain knowledge and like figure out how to make money. But back then, even though they were doing the same thing, in their mindset, they saw it as divine intervention, which I think is really interesting. To me, it's a great example of the fact that uh, theology has real world implications.
0: I would agree. So I'm gonna go both ways on this. Um, One, I can see how thinking that if you got rich, you would be divinely blessed or chosen simply because you're accomplishing something that other people aren't. And that seems very revolutionary. So, if you're actually gaining success based off of praying and thinking about this, and it does come true, like, why doesn't that work as a sign? I think the more realistic uh, portion of that is just good goal setting. And whether you attribute it to a god, or whether you just like Napoleon Hill in, you know, the 1929 book, Think and Grow Rich, literally just focus on wealth creation on a regular basis, you're going to learn how to make that happen.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that.
0: Where does vision, visions fit into all of this?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, in terms of uh, like prophecy and the imagination.
0: Yeah, I mean, these are like abstract things that no one's really proving that they exist.
1: Right. Um, I guess it depends on what people mean by vision. Like some people conceptualize it as like a waking dream. Like I was kind of taught that growing up. And at least two times in my life, I felt like I had one of those waking dream visions. But other people, um, and I think this is, this is representative of where I'm currently at, personally, other people would conceptualize it as that sort of vision casting, like being able to like, project into the future where you think things are going, the trajectory of how things will happen or the way you want them to happen. And to be honest, I don't think either of those are mutually exclusive. Um, I think that that vision casting kind of perspective to me reflects more what is meant by some of the Old Testament prophets. Like, I see this happening. I see, I see this and this happening. Like, they use some really complicated imagery to describe those things, and sometimes they make it sound like they're having a waking dream, but to be honest, I don't think the use of symbolism in the biblical text necessarily indicates they were having any sort of waking dream. So I do think it's a really interesting question, uh, but to be honest, there's not really a super clear answer.
0: Okay. What about dream interpretation, which seems to be pretty black and white in the Bible?
1: I mean, I guess maybe... I mean, maybe like the, maybe the first dream interpreters were like pre-Jungian and they just like somehow sensed that like our dreams meant something and they had like real symbolic uh, implications if we actually looked at them and considered how we could think of those. I think dream interpretation to me seems like a closer tangent to, uh, like someone's imagination or vision for something happening? Like, have you ever tried to interpret your dreams?
0: Oh, all the time.
1: Oh really? All the time. Okay. Yeah. How do you go about it?
0: Okay. I think one of the best things my dreams offer is my mind playing out scenarios that I might be thinking about that I would never have actually conceptualized during waking moments. It kind of allows an abstraction to happen where I will be presented a scenario uh, lucidly sometimes I can play that out and kind of see what the ramifications are and that's literally made life decisions based off of how those have gone down
1: wow that's very fascinating um I thought of an example I took a class from a psychiatrist a couple years ago and this was a really interesting example she used because I know for a fact she is a person who totally believes in prophecy as that sort of future telling. Like, that's her concept of it. But she's a licensed psychiatrist, and she gave this really good example of dream interpretation, which I still hold on to, and I think it, I think it really holds up. Her example was, think of a tree. Think of a tree right now. I'll think of a tree too. You got one? Yeah. Okay. Is it a specific tree? Yes. In the world? Yes. Perfect. Where is it?
0: Um. It is uh, the park outside of the house I grew up in. It's a weeping willow. At I think I was probably, let's say, ten to twelve. Seems about accurate.
1: And uh, what does the tree, this specific tree, evoke for you? If you had to sum it up in one or two words.
0: Uh, freedom, like childhood.
1: Okay. Wow. Great. Um, my example is a tree that was also outside of my childhood home, and from a young age, the tree was like half chopped down, like like pretty pretty trimmed, and like it was almost dead but me and some other neighborhood boys would like build tree forts around the base of it in this like abandoned field that nothing else was in. And if I had to sum it up in a word or two, it evokes childhood nostalgia for me. Now we came up with really similar examples, which is pretty interesting. Like maybe we are feeling more reflective at this time in terms of like our past and our background, but not everybody will think of a specific tree not everybody will think of a tree that is unique to their childhood experience and anyone who imagines a tree will usually have like some specific emotion that is evoked by the tree that they thought of and this example ties in really well with dream interpretation because if you read any dream interpretation book or whatever uh you'll often run across these like symbol indexes like when you run across a b and c in a dream it means this 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 or this and like a tree for instance might be defined as a uh, like strength or growth or nature like just like these really vague descript things that have remotely to do with the objects themselves and it might evoke those things for some people like some people might think of a tree and to them it, rec- it represents growth but for us it was more about childhood nostalgia and so i think that dream interpretation can be done well uh but it's often subjective and personal and it's really really difficult to find any sort of valid interpretation that is hyper generalized to every possible person and symbol so that's my hot take on dream interpretation
0: i would agree i think a lot of it's pattern matching totally i think if you look at like joseph dream interpreting you could just make the case that he's like very skilled in economics
1: totally <laughs> and, and he knew like... that the, he maybe knew that they believed in dream interpretation <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah but i do I, I think that the dream interpretation imagination thing is really interesting because like the dream interpretation itself often lives in the imagination of a third other. Like you do your own dream interpretation, but at some point you didn't do it and you had to listen to somebody else do it first, right? Mm-hmm. And uh what I think is so interesting about that is uh yeah, let's use your example of Joseph interpreting the pharaoh's dreams and uh whoever the other characters were, the baker and the butler or whatever. That always sounded like a clue murder mystery to me. Um, when he's interpreting the dreams of them, uh, in some ways he also has to imagine alongside their imagining, right? And he has to like, be able to pick apart like what, what could this be pointing us towards symbolically. Like you're trying to imagine what the other person is feeling in their symbols. And uh, to me that seems so similar to like the, the vision casting thing like trying to gather like okay what do we have here where does this lead us what is it pointing us towards and i think that i just think that that framing makes so much sense to me for biblical prophecy and biblical imagination there's uh, a okay. there's this author walter brueggeman who you might you might like this book i haven't read this book yet but a lot of the people i listen to have read it and loved it and uh So it's on my list now. His name is Walter Brueggemann. He wrote a book called The Prophetic Imagination. And uh, there's actually this really good podcast that uses that framework as a concept for their show. It's called The Prophetic Imagination Station, like a pun on Adventures in Odyssey. And uh, the, the framework, as I understand it, operates as a way to, like, prophetically imagine what God is pointing us towards. Like what he is like steering us away from and what he's pointing us towards. And sometimes it's like not super clear. Sometimes we have to like weave through the weeds a little bit. But to be honest, I like that um I like that pointing like that that trajectory sort of language a bit better rather than the prophetic fortune telling language. Like maybe there's a reason the Bible in some parts like really discourages fortune telling. Like it kind of like views it as like a pagan practice, but like maybe what the biblical authors were trying to get at was like, no, no, no. Fortune telling is like, like, like don't fall into scams. Like we're just vision casting here.
0: Yeah. Just don't pay for it. I think (laughs) um, one thing that you've sparked in me is I think, life can go the the conversation I don't necessarily want to have is is life meaningless but I do want to say that life becomes better when you supercharge everything with meaning and you don't have Mm. to do that and that is totally I'm going to say in those four realms because it makes sense in me it's like what's your physical emotional mental and imagination and you can neglect any one of those and that's fine, there's no, no one's going to necessarily badger you for that, but whenever you take any or all of those and say, okay, all of this matters, every single piece, my thoughts matter, my fantasies matter, like, all of this plays into a larger role into my life and to the people around me.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good perspective, especially because I think we have this tendency to assume that abstract things like emotions and imaginations or vision. I think we have a tendency to we have a bias against those things because the physical reality is so tangible, like we sense it through our senses and uh, we tend to then assume that those abstract things don't exist or in some ways exist less than the physical but i think that that's a cognitive mistake personally and i like that you're pointing this out because those things are real in the sense that we experience them like i think it's funny when someone asks like uh if your dream is real or if it like r- really happened or came true like well, it's real in every sense like you experienced it you lived it consciously if you remember it at all and even if you don't remember it at all like Um, older people who are losing their memory like all of the dreams and lives they've lived in their head that's just as real as the reality we live around in our lives right now and I'm not trying to like I'm not trying to propagate like simulation theory or like we're just like heads in a vat somewhere and like we're just dreaming but um, what I mean is our conscious experience in any form it takes is just as real as the physical reality whether or not it's disordered
0: Mm -hmm. and everyone's conscious physical reality is completely different we you and I could both write up what we think is happening in the physical moment we could create a hundred word article on this and they would probably be 20% the same Mm mm-hmm Is there any book in the Bible that you have a hard time understanding?
1: Oof. Oof. Oh, man, if that isn't a question for the ages. I mean, I am, by all means, not an expert. Um, I do not have a degree in biblical studies. I merely listen to the people that do. (laughs) I am a very amateur... Scholar and theologian. I will be honest about that. But I, I sort of asked this question in a different way on uh, our pod the other week through our socials. And the question that we posed was, like, what book have you previously wished was not included in the Bible? And for me personally, um, I think the one that's just, like, not well understood by me, I kind of don't see the point of it being in the Bible is the book of Revelation. And I'm part part of me is like coming from the angle of, I think it's done a lot of harm to a lot of people psychologically because of the way that some people frame it. And, but then on the other hand, I'm like, well, like why even have it then? Like I, I think I understand some of the things it's getting at, even though I don't completely understand it if I read it. Like I understand it as like a narrative arc, but I don't understand like reading all the little details and like what things are supposed to refer to regarding Rome and like the early church and like it's, it's obviously like got a historical pinpoint in the history of Christianity, but uh, is it sacred text? I don't know. I, I could care less about it. I don't understand it. I don't read it for fun. So I kind of wish that one wasn't in there. (laughs) What about you? What a, which ones have you felt like are just completely obscure or you wish haven't been included or something like that?
0: I'm so less of a biblical scholar than you that I don't feel like I can accurately you sure can say that
1: maybe a story then like you uh you went to church for a while you're pretty familiar with lots of biblical stories, I'm sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, certainly. Um a story. I'm going to throw this at you and uh this doesn't answer your question, but it's a story <laughs> from the Bible. <laughs> just I'm so so, ready. Just so you're aware. Okay. <laughs> this helped reframe and made me question a lot. And it was Jesus feeding the the 5,000 people with three Mm. loaves of bread and five five fish so i've heard it traditionally you know he asks who's going to share their food only one boy comes forward and he has you know this fish and bread and jesus multiplies that magically to all of these different people and that alternative story i heard which was uh He asks, who's willing to share? And only one person is willing to share. And he essentially represents, okay, if this one person is sharing, I'm going to break it. I'm going to feed it to my disciples. And all of a sudden, because one person was willing to share, I was able to feed five different people. So if we can get all of those who have brought food, which is much more logical, that 5,000 people who showed up, the fact that only one child, like was wise enough to bring food. It's a ridiculous (laughs) idea. (laughs) Um, And so it was a more representative of like teaching 5,000 people how to share. And Mm. that's like, that's a better story than magic fish.
1: I like that story. And, And to me, I think that your interpretation speaks to Uh, some of the unknowns and some of the gray area of the Bible. Like we often come to the text with a lot of preconceived notions, some of which we've been handed and some of which we just have as modern readers. And uh, I like your take on that. I appreciate that.
0: Thanks. What's been one of the more revealing parts about doing your biblical podcast?
1: Ooh, This is a little separate from the actual content of the show, but um, in interacting with people in the digital space, um, I've just become so much more encouraged to keep doing a project like it uh, when it's clear that it resonates with uh, such a huge sector of, like, a type of Christian who's grown up in America that now feels disillusioned from american christianity whether it means that their politics have changed their personal beliefs have changed um we've even had um some atheists and agnostics leave reviews which like shout out to them not believing in god or not knowing is great but like the fact that uh people like that who do not actively identify as christian uh have listened and like have had positive feedback and experience with the show um just kind of blows me out of the water like i think there's a lot of us who grew up with uh, these stories about the Bible that sometimes don't make sense. And then when the church doesn't make sense and we really don't like some things that happen that we see uh, it's, it can really feel like everything is falling apart and unraveling. And to be honest, I, I just think there's a lot of people out there who have had that experience. And my experience interacting in the digital space has just completely reinforced that. And I think that's been one of the most fascinating things to me, especially on a sociological level. Like I have a sociology degree and I am particularly fascinated with the social experience of religion as most sociologists have been. And um, just to like be at this current place in time in American Christianity, when so many people identify with the phrase deconstructing or like, I feel deconstructed, like everything is falling apart in my Christian faith and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to believe. I think that is so fascinating. Like I don't think any Christians before our generation have used that phrasing, especially because it was recently invented like in the last hundred years. Um, So the fact that like we're witnessing this widespread event, I would call it on the social level. And that um, I have a podcast that is somehow existing in this vein as well. uh, It just makes me want to do it even more like, Maybe I'll be a part of history. Am I going to, like, help someone along the way and, like, help them make sense of it? I hope so.
0: I think what's true is you are part of the present. And that's more important than being part of history. Mm -hmm. You are Mm -hmm. literally, like, being in people's earbuds or changing their present or changing what that future is going to look like. Mm Mm-hmm. well done well done on producing content based off of what you want i appreciate yeah that.
1: <laughs> thanks <laughs> yeah i i enjoy it a lot it's it's a lot more fun doing something because you want to do it i think
0: yes certainly all right i'm gonna throw one more thing at you uh as part of the meats of the podcast which are the heavy the meats bits. Yeah, we'll be going into the sweets later on, which are a little bit more That's of That's funny. Fun meats bits. and
1: sweets? That's funny. Meats and sweets. What did Arby's yeah. ever do besides have the meats? They never did anything wrong to us.
0: Uh, they okay. have delicious jalapeno poppers. <laughs> Arby's Arby's crushes those. They're not as good as Sonic's jalapeno poppers, but we're not in the sweets oh, yet. So. hot take. Okay, not in the sweets yeah. yet. Still the not meats. Not in the sweets yet. Still the, still the meats. So I came across this quote and it was, uh, I don't trust a man who hasn't uh, disbanded his beliefs twice because you're going to Mm -hmm. go into the world and you're going to be handed beliefs and Mm -hmm. you're obviously going to accept those and then you're going to realize they don't live up to your expectations. So you're going to disband them. And through disbanding them, you think that you have arrived somewhere better, but you haven't. You've just arrived somewhere different. And so you haven't actually chosen anything. And so you have to then, from that point of realizing, well, it wasn't what I was given, and it's not the absence of what I've been given. It has to be something that I choose. That's kind of the the second coming of belief systems. Mm,
1: That's good. I like that emphasis honestly i think that the bible uh reinforces that like uh i pointed out in a recent episode that the disciples didn't just like leave their uh previous beliefs behind and like decide to follow jesus as the messiah they were also the first people to lose faith in jesus like when jesus was crucified there like peter was straight up like oh no i've never known him no what are you kidding me no i've never known the guy never And, like, I think that the fact that the Bible includes depictions like those of people losing their faith and, like, going through that, like, double disbanded belief is completely accurate to the way you're describing it. I've also heard it described as, like, sometimes leaving fundamentalism can become its own fundamentalism. And, like, that's a problem in itself.
0: Of course. Yeah. A lot of the things we try to escape are very inescapable. That's why we're intertwined with them in the first place.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: All right. Now we will move on to the sweets of the podcast, which was not a part of the the original episode that you were on in the early stages because I've evolved since then. So this is a game of overrated, underrated, and give as much description as you want. The first one... Remind
1: me again, overrated means uh, like... I always confuse them. Underrated means, like, I wish more people liked it. Overrated means, like, too many people like it.
0: Yeah, or too many people like it based off of the quality. Because you can like something a lot and still think it's overrated.
1: Okay, okay. That's right. Okay, I remember now.
0: All right, perfect. I don't hate milk chocolate chips, but they're overrated. Like, dark (laughs) chocolate's so much better.
1: Okay, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, All right. good definition
0: uh the message book by eugene h peterson
1: oh underrated there's a lot of haters out there but you know what we just made up the verses anyway (laughs) the verse numbers we we made those up put it in plain english so like people who don't understand biblical scholarship can get a sense for what's happening that's perfect amen
0: uh law of attraction
1: oh overrated (laughs) not scientifically valid
0: <laughs> I mean I feel like you almost disproved yourself in this podcast based off of <laughs> just like using your imagination in order to goal set it seems very law of
1: attraction like uh, I guess it depends on how you define law of attraction but like the law of attraction I've encountered Seems really overrated to me.
0: Yeah. All right, Jordan B. Peterson.
1: Oh, completely overrated. I was just get. I was just. I. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I didn't tell you about this already. Yesterday on TikTok, <laughs> I, some some girl posted like a red flags. Like here's red flags in a relationship, and her first one was like straight up. If you listen to Joe Rogan, red flag. Get out. Get out. And then I also commented. Uh, also. Jordan Peterson and I got not attacked I got Jordan Peterson defended by multiple women and I was shocked to say the least like zero men came to the defense and maybe it's just because of the content that that woman posts and like it's mostly women who follow her or something but I had multiple women who like came at me a little bit and they were like no Jordan Peterson's great like what did he ever do wrong like he's never done anything wrong and i was like ooh okay this is the conversation we're having today and it turned into actually some good conversation like i i gave a couple reasons i gave some alternatives and i had a couple responses back that were like thank you for the respectful responses i'm going to check those out
0: and what were your like, responses
1: um uh my responses were I always try to validate people's feelings. So I tried to be like, that's great that he's helped you, because I think people find a lot of value in things that are abusive and harmful, Christianity being a great example. Uh, And then number two, I also pointed out that like it's good to be critical of people with power and platforms, because not everyone's perfect. And then C, I gave like other alternatives, like if they were interested in psychology, like I gave them some examples of some female psychologists, because I think we both know males and females have different perspectives on things and like different emphases in their training. And Jordan Peterson has a very very niche type of training and he is not a clinical psychologist, I believe.
0: He is a clinical psychologist. Oh, is
1: he a clinical psychologist? Okay. Well, I the examples I gave of them were like of people with different types of clinical training cuz like there's different branches of clinical psychology. Like he is very he's very Jungian. And there are some newer schools of thought about clinical psychology. So I try to give like some other examples instead of just like like telling them they're wrong or uh not giving good positive feedback, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Monogamy.
1: Ooh. Hmm. I'm gonna say underrated. I think we are polygamists by nature, and it takes discipline to be monogamous and I think that that's underrated.
0: I think that's very true, all right, only fans.
1: <laughs> Ooh. I wanna say overrated <laughs> just because it's like become a joke right now. Like, yeah, join my OnlyFans. <laughs> but um honestly the concept might be a little underrated. Like the whole the whole idea of uh like pay for your sexual content, pay the creators, that's actually a pretty equitable idea. So I'm gonna go with underrated
0: perfect alright that is the show two things to wrap it up Josh one where can people find more about you
1: um I like to think I'm a fun twitter follow Uh, I'm on the bird app at Josh Llewellyn I'm sure Josh can put a link in the show notes uh if you want to check out my podcast where we talk about stuff like this conversation uh my podcast is called Ravel like unravel but without the un where everywhere podcasts are sold for free
0: (laughs) perfect not on your only fans
1: not on my only fans
0: <laughs> what call to action do you have for our guests and listeners
1: I would say, challenge yourself to listen a little bit more and to encounter the people around you.
0: Beautiful words. Beautiful words. You can just start a podcast if you really want to do that. All right. To finish out this show, you get to ask me a single question.
1: Ooh. Oh my gosh um, Well not to just like drop The ball at the end But this whole time I wanted to ask you What made you not Christian anymore
0: Who's Who's saying I'm not Christian
1: Well if you're not Christian that is Or maybe you are And what makes you hold on to it
0: Okay. This is a great question. and We'll dive into it. I don't think there's similar to politics where if you say you're Republican or Democratic, you might lean in Mm -hmm. certain ways. But what actually matters is pulling out a single topic and then saying, what do you think about this? And I am willing to do that with validity on any biblical topic. And usually when people who are way more Christian than I am come to me and they're like, what about this? I'm like, I probably don't disagree with that, like to how I interpret it. I think the concept of God is a very abstract concept and simply because like, again, what you envision to be God and what I envision and even the person that you think is the closest representation to you who would envision the same God is still vastly different and I think even in the Bible he talks about not putting him in the box and so when we're going to say like don't put him in a box and then we're like but we're going to and then we're going to classify (laughs) people based off of that it's like man like I, I believe some pretty like abstract things about spirituality. I would classify myself in a modern context much more as a mystic, and sure. that's probably a topic for a different uh, podcast mm. on what all of that implies. But yeah, that's that's where I'm in with Christianity. I don't I don't think there's any reason to hate Uh, From a Christian standpoint, I really hate doctrine that tries Mm. to make people feel guilty and uh, negatively reinforces how they should live instead of positively reinforces. Absolutely. But just like any doctrine, um, you can find that. I think the Bible, if you read it, can be very positively reinforcing to you. Mm. I think you know using something like guilt as an emotion to be like oh maybe your body's trying to tell you something to change your action that's really helpful but to say that you should feel guilty because i don't like what you're doing imposed by someone else and then using that as divine intervention to do so that's ridiculous i don't think that makes people happy and i totally agree yeah
1: I like that answer. That was a very gracious, well-thought answer. I appreciated that.
0: Thank you. I appreciate you asking the question. That's great. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, thanks for having me, Josh. I, I really enjoyed this conversation with you.
0: Lou Allen, I had a fantastic time with you as well. Thank you.